0: I invite you this morning to the first psalm, psalm number one. And uh, just to reassure you, uh, I had several people while I was getting close to the end of Romans ask me where I was going next. I'm not going to walk through all 150 psalms in a row, okay? Just uh, just want to let you know that in advance. I do want to, over the next few weeks, we have some special things coming up in May. And so our the schedule in May is kind of a little bit here and there and so I didn't want to launch into a longer series yet but I did want to over the next few weeks uh, maybe touch on some psalms maybe some proverbs and uh, and use those as our our basis for our time in the word but this morning I want to spend our time in psalm number 1 psalm number 1 and most people believe that this psalm as well as the psalm that comes after it psalm number 2 that together they form the introduction to the whole book of psalms. In other words, these two psalms orient our way of looking at the psalms. And with psalm number one, it is what is known as a wisdom psalm or even more specifically a Torah psalm, a psalm of the word or a psalm focused on God's law. And so as the introduction to the whole book of Psalms, it shows us that the proper way to sing these hymns and the proper way to to understand the laments and the praises and the prayers that follow is through the lens of God's word, through the lens of Torah, through the books of Moses and, and anything that God chooses to reveal to his people in his word. And so this is the right orientation. This is the way that we should understand our worship and our walk before the Lord. One other interesting feature of Psalm 1 is that it is uh, an intrinsic acrostic, meaning that each verse does not start with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet, but the first word of Psalm 1 begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the last word Of Psalm 1 begins with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet and so the first word and the last word are kind of like A to Z and everything in between is the heart and the fullness of how we should relate to our Lord and so I want to read this psalm and then spend some time thinking on its implications for us this morning blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked Or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to reflect on your holy word this morning. In this psalm, you give us a way to orient our lives. You give us a clear distinction between two paths that confront us. And Father, by your grace and for the sake of your name, I pray that you would call us and lead us on that right path. Father, teach us today from your wisdom and your truth. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. What I want us to think about from this psalm this morning, first of all, is that there are two different directions. There are two different directions. Life is full of choices, isn't it? Some of those choices are small, like what am I going to eat for breakfast this morning? Or what tie should I wear with this jacket? Some decisions are small. Some decisions are big, right? Should I buy this home? Should I spend, or maybe should I borrow from the bank, hundreds of thousands of dollars or $100,000 or whatever it is to buy this home? Who should I marry? It's an important decision. But Psalm 1 presents to us the greatest choice in life. And that is the, the choice, the difference between the right way and the wrong way. And they are two different directions. The idea of a path or a road or a direction is a common theme in wisdom literature. You find it in certain of the Psalms. You find it all the way throughout Proverbs. You find it also in the teachings of Jesus. This concept of two different roads and the path that is set before us. And what I want us to see in this Psalm is that these are two different directions and they are clearly distinct directions. There's no confusion. The way that this psalm presents these two different directions, there is no confusion between the two. There's no overlap. These are two clearly different directions. And by the way, these are the only two. These are the only two. We live in a world, a pluralistic world, a pluralistic society. And you can hear from that word the idea of plural, which means many. So, we live in a culture in which there are many ways, many paths, many ideas, many philosophies, many isms. In fact, we live in a cultural and philosophical climate in which you really can't define all the philosophies and isms that are out there right now because each one has one for themselves individually. You know, it used to be you could define, you have Buddhism, you have Hinduism. You have atheism, you have theism or Christianity, you have Islam, you have these clearly defined philosophies or worldviews. But today, with the rise of what's called postmodernism, which essentially is there's no foundational certain truth, therefore it's up to you. You can pick and choose whatever truth you want, and so what you end up with is not a few philosophies, you end up with seven billion philosophies one tailor made for each person and they can pick a little bit of that and a little bit of this one and they can make up their own way as they go along. But the scriptures don't present life that way. The scriptures don't present truth that way. The scriptures don't present truth as there are many paths and they all end up at the same place. The scriptures present two paths and only two paths. And they're two clearly distinct paths One writer says this about Psalm 1. He says, the structure of the psalm reflects the unambiguous structure of life as this tradition of obedience understands it. There is no middle ground, no neutral ground. Life, like the psalm, is organized in a sharp either-or. Either be a happy person who enjoys Torah obedience and avoids alternative enterprises, or be like the wicked who refuse such delight either end up like a luxuriant tree with plenty of nourishment or be like chaff which disappears. Life consists of choices which are not obscure. There will be a judgment. One can stand or one can perish. But either way, it will be on the terms of the creator. The connection between devotion and destiny is not negotiable. It's clear. There are two clearly distinct directions. And the writer of this psalm presents what those directions look like. One direction is in the way of sinners. The other direction is in the way of God's word. And so he, first of all, he says, here is the way not to take the blessed one. The one who is blessed by God does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So that's the way not to go. But here is the right path, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night. God's word is at the center of this right path. It is the map, if you will, for this right path, the road to travel. One paraphrase of verse number two puts it this way You thrill to God's word and you chew on scripture day and night. It's a delight, it is a joy, and it becomes a regular part of our lives. The idea of meditation is not like in our view of like Near Eastern or or Far Eastern meditation, like in Hinduism or Buddhism. Biblical meditation is not trying to get behind your thoughts or to detach yourself from your thoughts as in Eastern mysticism. Biblical meditation is reviewing and reminding and thinking about God's word. In fact, the word that is used for meditate is actually an onomatopoeia, which means that the the word kind of sounds like what you do. And it sounds like the idea of murmuring, of whispering, of constantly talking to yourself. That's the idea of meditation. You're constantly talking to yourself. You're revoicing, if you will, to yourself the words of the Lord. That's meditation. One writer puts it this way. He says, meditation is not the setting apart of a special time for personal devotions whether morning or evening, but it is the reflection on the word of God in the course of daily activities. Regardless of the time of day or the context, the godly respond to life in accordance with God's word. Even where the word is not explicit, the godly person has trained his heart to speak and to act with wisdom. According to Proverbs 3, 1 to 6, the wise man receives instruction, writes it on his heart, and wholeheartedly trusts in the Lord with all his heart in all his daily activities. So the idea of biblical meditation day and night is that it's not sitting aside for 10 minutes and crossing our legs and putting our our fingers up. The idea of meditation is the word of God is always on our minds. And we're thinking about it. We're reflecting on it. We're, we're when, we, when we encounter a situation, we're seeking to apply the word of God to that choice, to that situation. It is a whole orientation of life. That is the characteristic of this right path. And I would suggest also that these two different directions, not only are they clearly distinct, but they're directions of choice. There's a choice that has to be made. Which path... Are you going to take? James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, puts it this way. He says there are choices. And there are many biblical examples of this concept of taking one road or the other. He says this idea is even used by Jesus toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The last section of the sermon lists a series of contrasts. Between which choices must be made, two gates and two roads, two trees and their two types of fruit, two houses and two foundations. The part regarding the two ways says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. There's a choice set before us the right one or the wrong one. But also we have to understand that not only is it a a direction of choice, but it's also a direction of grace. It is a direction of grace. It is not as simple as just coming down to, hey, it's up to you, You you choose which way you want to go because we have to understand it from the concept of the whole biblical theology, right? Of the fact that we are wayward sinners, And left to ourselves, our own inclination is to choose the wrong path. Therefore, we need the grace of God. Willem van Gemmeren in his commentary says, Blessedness is not deserved. It is a gift of God. God declares sinners to be righteous and freely grants them newness of life in which he protects them from the full effects of the world under judgment. Outside of God's blessing, man is cursed and ultimately leads to a meaningless life. So the idea of being blessed is not just being happy, but it is being favored by God. It is receiving the grace and the favor and the kindness of God granted to us. So it is a clear choice between two directions, but clearly it is by grace, it is by the love and the mercy of God that any of us end up on the right path. It is a direction of grace. I want us also to think about that these are progressive directions. These two directions are progressive directions. You ever notice that when you make a wrong turn, that that has after effects? right you you get off on the wrong exit on the freeway, and you end up in a place where you didn 't want to go i 've lived many different places in my lifetime, and every time I move to a new place there 's always a little bit of a learning curve right in terms of wh- how do you get to the store, how do you get back home from the store and uh, There have been a few times when i 've made a wrong turn, and uh, I remember one time when we lived in Tuscaloosa. Our house was in Northport, and I was going to the church in Tuscaloosa. And I remember one time, this is like in the first week or two that we were there. I remember one time I was riding with somebody, and they took a shortcut. And I thought, I'm going to try that out. So I took a turn. I thought it was the right way. Guess what? It was the wrong way. And I ended up miles from where I thought I was going. And I finally realized this is not the shortcut that I thought it was. But that's how directions work, isn't it? directions you make a turn you make a choice you head off down a path and you end up going down that path and it leads to certain results there's a progression down the path and you can see that progression in verse number one with the wrong path this progression i think is shown in a a couple of ways one is in the use of the verbs the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, there's a progression there, I think, that is intentional from walking to standing to sitting. First of all, you start off just kind of hanging around with and associating yourself with this wrong crowd. Pretty soon you're standing there, standing in their company. You're getting a little bit more comfortable with that crowd. After a while, you're sitting there, and one way of understanding that is you're actually sitting at the council table making decisions with the mockers and the scoffers. In other words, you're kind of like Lot. First of all, you pitch your tent toward Sodom, and then before long, you're in Sodom. There's a progression. But also in the words that are described of of the sinners here, wicked and then sinners and then mockers, there's almost a heightening of the effect of the type of sinner that's in view. Leading to the climax at the end of verse 1 with a mocker is someone that you can't even reason with. A mocker, a scoffer is someone who has no interest at all in hearing the law of the Lord or his word. He is totally vehemently against God and his truth. He's a mocker. He's defiant. So there's a, a progression along this path which reminds us you got to be careful in the choices that you make. The individual choices that you make lead to future choices and future directions. Also, there's a contrast here in these two directions in the, in the sense that one is solitary and one is crowded. You noticed in the first verse, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, plural, Or stand in the way that sinners, plural, take. Or sit in the company, the assembly, plural, of mockers. The way that it reads, it presents one against the crowd. And it fits with what Jesus says about the narrow gate and the wide gate, doesn't it? There are a lot of people that find the wide path. There are few that find the narrow path. And so if you take the right path according to God's word in faith and seek to follow him, many times you will be going against the crowd. You'll be fighting against the flow of the river. You'll be fighting against the culture in which we live. Because the culture in which we live is clearly the seat of the mocker. And if you're going to take the right path, you're going to have to fight against that flow of the culture. And there might be times when you think that you're alone, but verse 6 reminds us that we're not alone because the Lord is watching over the righteous, not just one of them, but all of them. The Lord watches over all of the all of the righteous. And in verse 5 there's an assembly of the righteous. So there may be times when you feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. The Lord has many who are walking the right path. So there're two Very different directions. Secondly, I want us to see that there are two different dividends. Two different dividends. In other words, the rewards, the blessings that flow out of these two different directions. Two different dividends. We see in verse 1 the concept of blessedness. Blessedness is not just the sense of being happy because sometimes when we think of happiness, we think of a mood or a feeling that can come and go. The biblical concept of blessedness is more like someone who is flourishing, someone who is content, someone who is exhibiting joy, the fruit of the spirit, regardless of what the circumstances may bring. So a person can be blessed blessed by God even while they're going through difficult times and they may not have a smile on their face. The concept of blessedness is living a full life of wholeness, living life in harmony with God's will and God's word. It is a blessed life. So the right path is marked by blessedness, but the wrong path is marked by futility and frustration. Futility and frustration You also have the contrast in verse three and four between flourishing and withering. Flourishing in verse three, the person that follows the right path is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. It's the concept of flourishing of a tree in a desert land, but it's planted by a riverbed where those roots can go deep and where it can constantly have a source of sustenance and refreshment and where that tree continues to grow and blossom and produce fruit. That is the image of a person walking in the path of God. But the person not walking in the path of God, the person taking the wrong path in verse four is very bluntly described, not so the wicked. In other words, this this very elaborate explanation or description of the flourishing of the righteous person in verse 3. And then verse 4 bluntly says, but the wicked, not. Not like that. And in very blunt terms says, but they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is the unwanted part, the unused part after you've harvested the grain. It's just the, the the worthless remnants that are left over, and you just throw them out and the wind takes them who knows where. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Flourishing versus withering. Blessedness versus futility. Two different dividends. And I want us to see as we finish our time in this psalm, very importantly, there are two different destinies. There are two different destinies the direction that you take determines your destiny, right? Where the road that you turn on determines where you're going, where you're going to end up. And very clearly in this psalm, there's a clear choice, a separate, a contrast between the right way and the wrong way, not only in their ways of living, living according to God's word versus not living according to God's word, not only in... the the dividends that flow to us in this life, blessedness versus futility, but also there's a contrast between the way that they end up in their two different destinies. And we see that in verses five and six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The... The Aramaic Targum, which is a very old, ancient translation, paraphrase of the Hebrew Scriptures, expands just a little bit in verse 5 and says, Therefore the wicked will not stand on the final day of judgment. So it understands it in terms of the last day, in terms of eternal destinies. And I think that's the right way to understand it. That not only do these choices matter for this life, but these two choices matter for the life to come. And it's a choice between life and death, isn't it? It's not only flourishing versus withering in this life or blessedness versus futility in this life. It is a choice between eternal life or eternal death. Eternal condemnation. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And there could be a very intentional reminder, allusion back to verse one, with the walking, the standing, and the sitting. So in the world, in this wrong way, there's a place where sinners congregate and where they gather. There's a place where they sit in council, On the last day of judgment, there will be no such place for them to stand. There will be no such place for them to sit and assemble. They'll be judged. They'll be condemned. They'll be like that chaff that the wind blows away. They have no eternal life for them. It is judgment. But verse 6 says, The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The in verse 6 is the Lord protecting his people. The Lord keeping his people. The Lord bringing his people not only to blessedness now, but also to life in the future. In contrast with the wicked who end up in eternal destruction. I think there are a couple of ways that we could take Psalm one out of its context and and misunderstand it. I think one misunderstanding would be this, that in this choice between the right way and the wrong way, we might come to the mistaken idea that it's just about what I do and my self-righteousness. And that would be a wrong way to to come away from this Psalm. And for that, I go back to the concept of grace. Grace. That the idea of blessedness, the idea of favor is really a concept of grace. That, that the way that we end up on the right path is because of the mercy of the Lord. And, and it's, it's by faith that we stand in Christ, isn't it? So this, this psalm is not talking about the way that a person enters into the community of faith. Or into the community of God. We know from the larger picture of scripture, and especially from the New Testament, that the way that one enters into the community of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. This psalm is assuming the context of those who are in the community of God. And it is a reminder of the importance of walking along the path that God has set out for his children of walking in the fear of the Lord, of walking in faith, of walking toward that eternal life that he has laid out for us. But for those that consistently walk along the wrong path, it shows, it demonstrates, that they're really not a part of the community of faith. They're really not a part of God's covenant people. They they may profess one thing, but their lives really show another. And in the end, there will be two different destinies. Like Jesus says in Matthew 7, there will be many who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and do all these wonderful things? And Jesus will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. It's not the one who says, Lord, Lord, it's it's the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Again, it's not works, salvation, but it's salvation works. If that makes sense. Don't get the cart before the horse works don't lead to salvation works flow out of salvation salvation works faith that is given by God a gracious faith works and walks down that this right path and it ends up in the right place in the end in the right destination. Those who are blessed by the Lord walk the path of delight in his word. Their life is a flourishing one that leads to eternal life. But the foolish and the mockers walk the path of self-determination. I'll go the way that I want to go. They refuse to delight in or to follow God's word. Their life is characterized by futility and ultimately ends in condemnation. Psalm 1 presents this question. Which path are you on? Which path are you on? Remember, there's only two, and they're clearly contrasted. So, are your is your path marked by the way that this right path is described in Psalm 1? Is your path marked by a desire for, a delight in, a submission to the word of the Lord? That's the one overriding mark characteristic of the person who's on the right path in this psalm is the way that his life, his or her life is oriented around the revealed word of God. Question of application. How much is the word of God a part of your life? Psalm one presents the right path as the word of God is a daily part of our lives and throughout the day part of our lives because that person meditates on it day and night. So I pray that the word of the Lord is a part and an integral central part of your life and your life revolves around that truth. And I pray that you are on the right path and that you're living a flourishing life. Not not a life of, of your own choosing your own happiness, but a life that lives in fullness and joy because you're living in a way that fits with the design of your creator. God has made us to glorify him and to believe in him and to follow him. And when we live that way, we're living the way that God designed for us to be and we will flourish. We will be a round peg in a round hole, if you will, because we're living the way that God made us to live. But when you're living contrary to the word of God, you're like a round peg trying to fit yourself in a square hole. And it's gonna be a life of futility and frustration and ultimately condemnation. And so my prayer for you is that you're living a flourishing life built on the word of God and that you are headed toward the right destination, that God opens up to us by his grace. Two roads, two paths, two directions. I pray that you're on the right one. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for how wonderful, and gracious you have been to us. One aspect of your grace, Lord, is that you have revealed to us your word. You have not left us in darkness. You have given us your truth. We have the privilege of knowing your Torah, your word. Lord, you have graciously opened our minds and our eyes to see, to believe, to trust. You've given us grace, Lord, to follow and to walk in the path that your word lays out for us. And we praise you that you have offered to us eternal life through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, my prayer today is that we would all here in this place be on the right path, and that we would all be described as a person blessed of the Lord, a person who delights in you and in your word. And Lord, if there's someone who is on the wrong path, headed down the wrong way, that Lord, you would graciously get a hold of that person and open their eyes to see how much your word, your gospel, is a delight, and how it can completely reorient their lives and cause them to be truly blessed and to truly live. I pray this in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.